Thanks for tuning in to the Goob Podcast. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at Sakara. We just hosted a wellness event at our headquarters here in LA. To start the day, Sakara hooked us up with breakfast, which was a big hit. Sakara Life is a wellness company that believes eating healthy can and should be enjoyable, and they believe that nutritious food has the power to help keep us well. Sakara offers an organic plant-based nutrition program designed to help you look and feel like your best self. And above all, they believe that food is a lifestyle, not a diet. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com goop or enter code goop20 at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot goop to get 20% off your first order. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. In today's special episode, in efforts to spread awareness and helpful information on how we can best manage during the coronavirus pandemic, Terry Reel will be joining us. Terry Reel is a sought-after family therapist and teacher and the founder of the Relational Life Institute. He teaches workshops for couples, individuals, and parents across the country and often trains other therapists. He's also the best-selling author of books, including The New Rules of Marriage, How Can I Get Through to You, and I Don't Want to Talk About It. One of his specialties is male depression and how it manifests in marriages and the ways in which the patriarchy has damaged our ability to be in healthy and loving relationships. He's also known for seeing couples who enter his office on the brink of divorce and emerge feeling reconnected and reengaged with a new perspective on their partners and their marriage. If you go to Terry's website, you can sign up for the webinar that he mentions in this episode, Evolutionary Relationships. If you sign up for his newsletter as well, you'll be the first to know when he releases a new series of lectures and workshops called Fierce Intimacy. Honestly, I am here for anything Terry Real has to say about relationships. He's one of my very, very favorite people to talk to. For those of you who are at home with your partners and who need a little bit of help adapting to this new normal, keep listening. Terry is going to teach us strategies for navigating conflict, building intimacy, and getting through these times so that we can reemerge from this crisis, not only with our relationships intact, but with relationships that have transformed from merely surviving to thriving. I'll let Terry Real take it from here. Terry, thanks for joining me. I wish I were with you, but obviously this time in our lives is not about our preferences, right? Like we are in uncharted territory. 
We are indeed. So I'm with you the way that everybody's pretty much with everybody these days, uh, virtually and with a good spirit. Yeah. So are your phone, is your phone just ringing off the hook? Like what's happening in couples therapy land generally? Yeah, my phone is ringing off the hook. I, I think that people are, you know, it's really interesting. On the one hand, I want to be really clear that anything positive I say about the current situation is in no way meant to minimize the terror and the grief and uh, the discomfort uh, that people are feeling around the globe. It it would kill me to have a kind of spiritual bypass here, you know. Well, the whole world is facing a pandemic, but hey, here's the opportunity for your personal growth. That's true, but it needs to be very sensitive and not very glib. So here's how I see what we're doing right now. It's about joining resilience. Uh, I see this podcast, which is really about how to make the best of where we are and how to use relationship skills to to rise to the occasion here as uh, a celebration of human resilience. And it's not meant in any way to diminish or minimize the horror and the pain that people are experiencing. It is meant to say, Elise, you and I are on a balcony in Italy and we are singing opera. We're on a a deck uh, out of our apartments in Spain and we're banging pots to salute the first responders. There is a human spirit here and it is not being crushed. And um, that's what I want to contribute to. Yeah. And I think, you know, for anyone who has experienced, you know, the dark night of the soul or profound loss or job loss or really hard things at any point in their life, they also have probably or likely seen the flip side of that, which is which is that resilience that we we do get through these things somehow, some way. And often it's um, it's more beautiful and more meaningful than it would seem. It's terrifying, of course, but it often bears unexpected gifts. There are unexpected gifts, uh, but, and I teach my clients not to say, but to say, and, and uh, there are unexpected gifts. And I think that what's really imperative for us is to stay connected to our humanity, stay connected to our own vulnerabilities. And I think that's true culturally And I think it's true in our personal relationships. You know, your capacity to be there for your partner in his or her distress has everything to do with your capacity to bear your own uncomfortable feelings and be with your own vulnerabilities. Once we leave those, once we start running from them or trying to control them, we start running from our partners and trying to control them as well. So... Being with the other has everything to do with our capacity to be with our own selves. So how do you do that? Well, um, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I have no easy answer for that. What you do, one of the things that you do is, for example, you're in a heated moment with your partner. I'm going to focus on adult long-term relationships. We can talk about kids and families as we go along, but let's focus on 
um, uh, adult relationships. So one of the things I teach people is literally when you are in a heated moment with your partner, if you really pay attention, you're not very connected to yourself. It's all about what they're doing. It's all about the injuries uh, or the frustrations that they're handing over to you. And it's a practice to literally take a breath and rather than acting out your feelings, uh, take a moment and ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what am I feeling right now? And in particular, I want you to pay attention to your vulnerable feelings and lead with those. This is a big challenge for everybody. I think it's a particular challenge for men because as we know in our culture, men aren't supposed to have any vulnerable feelings. Uh, so it really means breaking the mold. But you've heard me say many times, Elise, that leading men and women into increased intimacy, in this case, leading them to rise to the occasion, uh, is synonymous with leading them out of patriarchy. The traditions of patriarchy, like not being vulnerable for men, uh, being dominant, being over nature rather than the humility of understanding that you're a part of nature, all of these constructions uh, pull us away from being able to bring our best selves into this situation. So pay attention to your vulnerability. Can I give you a simple story? Yes, please. You know, um, I, I want to invite everybody who's listening, if I could put in a plug, to uh, just yesterday, I did a free webinar with a wonderful spiritual teacher, Thomas Ubel, a German who lives in Israel. And together, uh, we did a piece on evolutionary relationships in a time of crisis, very similar to what we're talking about now. We had 20,000 people who signed up for the, for the webinar, and I was nervous. Uh, I was trying to set up the computer uh, at the special spot where I could film this thing. And my wife, Belinda, who's also a therapist, had uh, been there working all day at the dining room table and papers were littered everywhere. And I was very nervous and I wanted her to clean up. I said to her, uh, would you please clean up so I can set up? She says to me, well, in a little bit, I need to do dot, 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 dot. Now, right at the tip of my tongue, was uh, the something like, I can't believe this. Why does everything have to be such a struggle? I just asked you all of that kind of stuff. I'm sure you can make up the rest of it yourself. I took a breath. This is what I call relational mindfulness, relation, second consciousness. It's moving beyond our knee-jerk responses. My knee-jerk response was to fight. I'm a fighter. Belinda's a fighter. We both come from fighting families. And I was right about to get into it with her. I took a breath. I recentered, And instead of all of that, you this, you that, you this, you that, I said, listen, I want to tell you I'm really nervous about this uh, evolutionary relationship webinar we're doing. And uh, I've got all these people. I'm not used to talking to such a large audience. And I'm scared. It would really help me if you would clear off your stuff so I can get settled. As a favor to me, would you do that? And instead of the predictable fight that I would have had, my wife walked over and gave me a kiss. That yeah. is the practice of coming out of the other focused attack 
and into an attention to yourself and your own vulnerabilities and leading with those instead of the discomfort. Mm, That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think if you can't identify what you're feeling, then you can't in a, in any way respond to your partner in a way that's not, um, going to be provoked, like, or provoking, you know, if you don't understand where you are in time and space. We talk about that a lot. Like we don't, I think it's true of women as well. We don't have emotional literacy, typically, like we don't, we don't know what it is, what's deep underneath the way that we're responding to our partner. Well, most of us us have a few go-to feelings, or to be honest, one go-to feeling, And uh, I have a saying in the work that I do, I say, I want the mighty to melt and I want the weak to rise up. Mm. And if you are used to leading with more sort of enabling, codependent, you know, oh God, I hope they don't get mad at me feelings, find your strength, find your power. If you're used to leading uh, with uh, big, strong, I'm pissed off, I'm not going to take it anymore kind of angry feelings, reach over those to the vulnerability. But whatever your most habitual feeling is, take a breath, skip over that, and reach for something different. It will change the dynamic between you. Mm. So let's start and talk about sort of the most basic thing that's happening right now, which is that we're being put into close proximity with our partners in a way that's unprecedented, right? Like we're, I saw a meme and it was like, oh, I didn't know that my husband was a circle back kind of guy. Like we're, for those partners where both people are working or are still working, you're sort of having to combine your two worlds. There's no separation. There's no leaving someone and then being excited to see them at the end of the day. Like how do you, do you have any tips for for particularly for people, some people probably love it and others are likely struggling. Yeah. You know, one of the things about this crisis in all of its aspects is it's a great magnifier. It Mm. just magnifies all of the fault lines and all of the scritchiness and tension. And it also magnifies some of our best qualities. One of the things I believe, and again, I'm not saying this to be glib or minimize people's distress, but one of the things I'm finding from my clients is that uh, people in general, and I'm going to say men in particular, relieved of going to the office and being in the rat race with the same kind of pressure, uh, feel relieved feel like, oh my God, I can, you know, lay down on the floor and play Monopoly with my kids for a couple of hours. I can do the dishes and, and not feel put upon. You know, I, 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 look, I've been cleaning toilets in my house and I got to tell you, it's been a long time since Mrs. Real Son has cleaned the toilet. But it's good for us. It's a, it's a level of engagement with our families that we actually don't normally have an opportunity to have. And so some of this can be a rethinking of our values and our rhythms and changing some of the priorities from do, 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 doing to a little bit more being. 
And mm-hmm. being is nourishing for a family. Being is nourishing for our souls as individuals. And there isn't enough of that in our culture. So this is both uh, a great challenge and also, not to be glib, it does have some opportunities in it. Uh, one of the opportunities is showing up for our partners and our families in more grown-up ways and, frankly, less harried ways uh, than we're used to. I'm not saying that's true for everybody. If you're sitting at home with five kids and homeschooling, you know, me telling you you're less harried may not be exactly what you want to hear. But for many, <laughs> many of us, this is an opportunity. Yeah. No, and I think even with the the schooling, you know, having two young kids, one who is in preschool, so he really, it doesn't really count. Um, but the process of, and I feel like I've been in this process for a while, pre, pre-corona, of, of essentially what you were saying, sort of a recalibrating down in terms of scheduling and expectations and um, knowing that all the kids across the you know, world are going to be collectively behind and behind what, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, I don't know that any of that really matters. You know, we're all subscribed to a system and it's what we all do. And so we're all collectively beholden to it. And I think this, this letdown, this, this release of expectation is quite, it's, it's scary but it's also quite wonderful in terms of, well, what, you know, what, is, what are we going to lose? Like, what, what is outlawed? Like, what are we going to lose in terms of our kids? Like, what are the concerns? What wouldn't they be learning? Um, what are they learning instead? Well, our whole, our whole culture uh, is built on unhealthy self-esteem. Healthy self-esteem for adults and kids comes from the inside out. And it has to do with being. It has to do with the fact that you're here, you're alive, and you're a human being. That's it. Your essential worth and dignity is no greater or less than the guy to the left or the right of you. It can't be. It can't be earned. It can't be unearned. It can't be added to. It can't be subtracted from. It's a spiritual fact. It's an ontological fact. We know this. It's the bulwark of democracy. It's the bulwark of medical ethics. But we don't live like that. And instead of inside out worth and self-esteem, our culture runs on outside in worth and self-esteem. There's um, attribute-based esteem, which the whole advertising community runs on, you know, buy this car and be a person of distinction. I have worth Mm -hmm. because of what I have. I have a kid at Harvard. I have big muscles. I have a trophy wife. I have a fat bank account. That's attribute-based esteem. The other is performance-based esteem, which is big for men. I have worth because of what I can do. And we get into that with our children. They are, they're worthwhile because they're concert violinists. They're worthwhile because they ace their you know, SATs. It's not about performance. It's about who you are as a person. And then the mm-hmm. last one is other-based esteem. I have worth because you think I do. And that, unfortunately, is big for women, shading all the way into love addiction, and the only way that I have worth is when you think I do. None of these forms of self-esteem are healthy. This is an opportunity to break out of the habits of all three of those and instead base your sense of well-being on connection, 
connection to yourself and connection to others. Intimacy is what's going to fulfill us. And intimacy is the opportunity in this moment when we're locked down with each other. That was beautiful. Thank you. I mean, so intimacy and and building it or creating it or rediscovering it, um, because I think, you know, I can speak to this from some experience in my own relationship. There certainly have been times when I'm like, oh, my God, we are really good friends and we really like each other and we know each other's deepest values and desires and goals and dreams. And then and we fail to come back to that routinely. And we actually have done some of that during quarantine. How do you mm-hmm. for cu- for couples who have really let that slide be in the busyness of life and the ability to distract yeah. and, and not focus? How do you how do you? Get it back. Well, first of all, I I want to be clear about what real intimacy looks like because it's not marshmallows and flowers. (laughs) We, uh, all relationships, I learned this from Ed Tronick, the um, infant observational researcher, along with Barry Brazelton, took video cameras and actually recorded mothers and infants rather than sort of hypothesize about what they were from listening to adult patients. They actually recorded what was going on. And what Tronic found, and this is the bulwark of my work, what Tronic found is an endless repeated rhythm of harmony, disruption, and repair, right? Mm. The infant is in his mother's arms and he's like a noodle. He's just totally molded is the technical term. And then there's gas or a noise or hunger or something. And the baby starts freaking out. The mother tries to comfort the baby and the mother starts freaking out. Now they're both freaking out. And then the pacifier is accepted or the gas passes or whatever. And the baby settles back down again. Harmony, disharmony, and repair. Our culture does not equip us with the skills of moving from disharmony into repair because it doesn't even acknowledge that disharmony exists. A good couple is a couple that's always harmonious, just like a good couple is a couple that has sex five days a week. A good (laughs) couple is a couple where everybody looks like, you know, a runway model. That's all nonsense. What Tronic says, and I totally agree with him, is trust is not uh, a consequence of unbroken harmony. Trust comes from living through the whole cycle. You're together, you're disrupted, you find each other again. It's like walking, balance, imbalance, rebalance. And I want couples in our culture to embrace all of it. Listen, that dark night, that disruption that distance where you're where you've grown apart from each other that's real and what i want to say about it is it hurts it is it is it is hard stuff i you know i go around the country not anymore but i used to and hope to again talking to uh audiences about what i call normal marital hatred normal marital hatred and i got to tell you elise In 20 years, not one person has come backstage and said, Terry, what do you mean by that? (laughs) (laughs) We all despise our partners at times. Get over it. It's not the end of the world. Take a breath. Remember love. Remember that the person you're speaking to is someone that you do love and move into repair. 
Most couples don't do that because we simply don't know how. And what happens is that we back off of each other. What happens is that instead of taking each other on, we, uh, we fester. And resentment grows, passion diminishes, and we start to lose each other. One of the things I believe about keeping relationships juicy and healthy is what I call fierce intimacy. Take each other on. Tell each other the truth. Don't let things go. Don't tell yourself you're settling when you really resent it. That is not true. The problem is that most people back off of taking each other on and telling each other the truth because when they try, it doesn't go very well. And that's where the skills come in. We have to learn how to speak and listen with skill to each other. And um, that's, that's where I come in. We'll get back to my conversation in just a second. I recently had nutritionist Kelly Levesque on the podcast, and together we talked about what it means to focus on the positive on our plates. For me, that means putting more attention on nourishing my body and moving away from feeling any guilt or shame about the food choices I make. Similarly, Sakara is a nutrition company that is nourishing our bodies, not restricting, with the healthiest foods in order to feel our best. When we stop thinking we need to deprive ourselves, we can focus on eating foods that nurture us mentally and physically, and they believe in overall wellness, which starts with what we eat. Sakara believes in the ancient healing power of plants, eating vegetables to make up every color of the rainbow, selecting good fats, and paying attention to nutrient density and your body's own intelligence. Their meals are designed to nourish and support a healthy mind and body. Sakara offers an organic nutrition program that delivers fresh, ready-to-eat meals right to your door. Their menu of chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly. You can customize your weekly schedule to best fit your lifestyle, and all of their meals are organic, plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, non-GMO, and contain no refined sugar. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com goop or enter code goop20 at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash goop to get 20% off your first order. At Goop, part of our mission revolves around creating more open conversations about female sex and pleasure. When it comes to sex and desire, we believe in pushing the boundaries and exploring our curiosities in a healthy and positive way. We even devoted a whole episode on our Netflix show, The Goop Lab, to the subject. Oh, and our recent story on vibrators on the Goop site has been getting a lot of buzz, literally. We believe in women exploring their own sexual desires, and similarly, Dame Products believes in self-exploration and closing the pleasure gap. Dame is a woman-founded company making toys for sex. Their founder, Alexandra Fine, is a sex educator and engineer that decided real humans are the best researchers when it comes to designing high-quality sex toys. Her hope is to encourage us to reach new heights when it comes to pleasure, either solo or with a partner. Their vibrators and accessories are made with medical-grade silicone, innovative design principles, and each of their products are developed and tested by real people with vulvas. And the best part, Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days of purchase. To check out their products and get 15% off your first order, visit dameproducts.com goop 
and use code GOOP15 at checkout. That's D-A-M-E-Products.com slash GOOP and use code GOOP15 to get 15% off your first order. Break's over. Let's get back to today's chat. So for people who are sort of locked down with their partners and maybe they are going through a hard time or they've become really disconnected and they're trying to find their way back and one person like how do you open that conversation what are the tools like how do you make those bids to and maybe the maybe the the gift in this is that this inherently is a hard conversation because covid-19 threatens our health, it threatens the health of the people we love, it threatens our economy, our personal economy, our household economies. So maybe this is sort of the opening gambit. But for those people who are living together, but apart right now in their homes, what's the first what's the first tool in the toolbox? I'll tell you, the first tool in the toolbox has got nothing to do with what goes on between the two of you. The very first tool is what goes on between your ears. Mm. And it's what I call remembering love. Remember that the person you're speaking to is not, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein incarnate. The person you're speaking <laughs> to is the guy or gal you love. And uh, if you can't get there, remember that you have to live with the son of a gun. So it's in your interests to make this better. It's about setting your intention. I talk about five losing strategies, proving that you're right, controlling your partner, unbridled self-expression, retaliation, and withdrawal. Before you speak, check yourself. What are you about here? Why are you speaking? Somebody said, wait, why am I talking? And if you're talking to <laughs> If you're talking to like, you know, set the record straight or prove that you're right or get your partner to do this or that, or the, if, you, if, you, if you're speaking from one of these losing strategies, it's not going to go anywhere. There's only one reason to open up your mouth and speak, which is to make things better between the two of you. And that has a completely different energy than, you know, proving that you're right or, or slamming your partner or, or driving them into the ground. So check yourself. One of the questions that I ask my couples, I say that the most important question is not what are the stressors, because a good couple can handle even intense stress like this. The question is not what is the choreography between the two of you, what's the, what's the dance, what's the pattern. As a couple therapist, that's important, but it's not what's primary. The critical question is, which part of you am I speaking to? Am I speaking to the grown-up, prefrontal cortex, thoughtful, planful, heartful person? Or am I speaking to the triggered, immature part of you? Am I speaking to one of your inner children, your limbic system, your flooded emotions? And if, I, if you are in a flooded state, and you'll know it, if you are off-center, the first skill is to get yourself re-centered back into that adult state of mind. Here's why. It's only the adult part of us that wants to be skilled. It's only the adult part of us that wants to be intimate. These younger parts of us don't give a damn about intimacy. They're all about self-preservation. So the first skill is getting centered in yourself and remembering what you're about. 
I call it keep your eyes on the prize. Why am I speaking here? Is it to prove myself right and prove that son of a bitch wrong? Or is it to make things better between the two of us? Because A, I love you. And B, I live here. I don't talk to people about altruism. I talk to them about enlightened self-interest. Your relationship with your biosphere is where you live. You're not above it. That is patriarchy. You're not dominating the system. You're a humble component part of the system. This is your environment. You can choose to pollute your biosphere over here by having a temper tantrum, but you'll breathe that pollution in over there in your partner's withdrawal. So this is not a zero-sum game. I want people to move out of linear patriarchal thinking into ecological thinking. We are connected. If you are unhappy, I am unhappy. What's that old Chinese saying? Happy wife, happy life. We are in this together. The question, for example, who's right and who's wrong from an enlightened relational perspective is who cares? I don't care who's <laughs> right or wrong. The answer is, how are we going to work together to make this work for each other? We're a team. And when you lose that team consciousness and move into two adversarial individuals, you're done. Take a break. Go splash some water on your face. Meditate for 10 minutes. Do what you need to do until you remember that this is not the adversary. This is your partner. And you're going to have to deal with them constructively. Get a grip on yourself, put your big boy pants on, and then go back into the fray. Mm. I, um, Rob and I went to see Stan Tatkin, and oh, um, oh, he's amazing. And one of the things, it's so funny, that one of the primary exercises that he does with you is he videotapes you, and he puts you into, you put yourself into conflict, and then he films you as you get yourself out of conflict. And when he, we were, mm. it was something dumb, you know, a perpetual problem. And he could care I'm sure less. Was, I'm sure it's your partner's fault. Uh, and let's just get that straight from the beginning. You're blameless and <laughs> he's a shit. But well, now that we've yeah. established that, we can move on. <laughs> so he could not have cared less about the content. And I was sort of looking to him, like, to, com- you know, confirm how correct I was. And he just looked at, we were watching the playback, and he just looked at me and he's like, why are you still talking? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> like 80% of it was just me like rationalizing and moralizing and talking, 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 talking. Anyway, my husband felt very vindicated, I will say. Well, that's good. I'll tell Stan you said that next time I talk to him. Listen, I, I, on the other hand, let me say something about men and women in our culture. I have a saying, and I'm not saying you were angry, but uh, you were talking a lot. The talk was probably fueled by a wish to get through to him. And one of the things I say to men is that an angry woman is almost always a woman who does not feel heard. Mm. And it's very disarming. Instead of being, instead of defending yourself, I talk to men about bearing your neck to the fangs. You know, instead of defending yourself, it's, it's relational jujitsu. You don't oppose it. You disarm your opponent by yielding to it. Mm. So if you're going on and on and on to Rob is your partner, right? Yeah. R-O-B. Yeah, you're R-O-B. going on and on to Rob. The quickest way for Rob to get you to stop is to help you feel that you just got listened to. It's a trick. 
but it's very disarming. You have to park your ego at the door, but instead of focusing on one of the hard pills, but it's really useful for people listening to this right now, is let go of objective reality. Objective reality has no place in personal relationships. It's not about as you're talking, I guarantee you, Rob is in his head going, well, that's true. That's not true. Yeah, but you have to understand. We don't listen to each other. We rebut either verbally or in our heads. And so what this exercise is, is let go of that reality. We don't care what's objectively true or not. We don't care about you, Rob, and your feelings. We want you to show up with compassion and generosity to your partner's feelings. Why do you want to do that? Because it's the quickest way of getting them off your back. That's why. It's in your interest. And it's also a nice thing to do. I call this responding with emotional generosity. It's not about you. And it's not about what really happened. It's about helping your partner feel better. Here's a $10,000 question. Ready? If people get nothing but this one question out of the whole podcast, I'll be very happy. Here it is. Oh, honey, I'm sorry you feel bad. Is there something I could say or do that would help you feel better? Now, when is that going to be a loser? Mm-hmm. No, honey, totally. I'm sorry you feel bad. I'm sorry you feel bad. Is there anything I can say or do to help you feel better? And why would you say that? A, because you love your partner. B, because you don't want them to feel bad. And C, because their feeling bad is going to be a problem for you. Hello, wake up, you're there. Yeah. And you're right, because I think that sometimes, and, and I'm assuming it's just the way that we're built and the way that we process things differently, but not that I can speak for all women. I'm sure so much of it and the way that we get, I'll just I don't like this word, but naggy or shrill or insistent is because there's this, there's often no um, sort of recognition on the other side, right? So you feel like somehow you're not getting through. That really is what it is. It's, it's yeah, it really just. Is what it is. So, you know, women can help guys out. You can say to them, listen, if you can breathe and not be defensive right now, Here's what I would like you to respond to me. Here's some things you could say that would help me. You can, you can take them by the hand. This is what I call helping him win. You can take him by the hand and gently, not with anger or edge, not in a controlling way, but with humility from the eye, the way I did with my wife, Belinda. Look, I'm nervous. Could you help me out? Look, I'm unhappy about this, that, and the other thing. Here's some things you could say that would really help me. Would you be willing to give me some of that? Mm. There are three stages, and this is particularly true for women because women carry most of the dissatisfaction. There are three stages of getting what you want. Ready? The yeah. first I call daring to rock the boat. That's the assertive part. Listen, buddy, this is really important to me. You better, you better pay attention. Once you got your partner's attention, drop the aggression, drop the sword and shield, Roll up your sleeves and help out. I can't tell you how many women will go on about their men and the guys say, okay, okay, what can I do? And the women are still busy angrily complaining about them. Stop. You just said he's all ears. Pay attention. Drop the aggression and say, okay, here are some things you could say or do that would help me feel better. Teach them. 
not because you're the relational expert, but you're the Elise expert. Give him Elise operating instructions. Help the guy out. Don't assume that he'll know. School him a little bit. Coach him a little bit on you with humility. This is not how men should treat women or he should treat everybody. It's about I, I, I. This is how I would like to be treated. And then the third phase, which very few women get, is once the guy starts trying to come through for you, encourage him, don't discourage him. I teach women to celebrate the glass 14% full. (laughs) It was only 7% full last week. This is what we do with children. You know, your kid has a D and you have a come to Jesus talk with him. He shows up next week with a C. You don't say, oh my God, it's only a C if you're a functional parent. You say, that's great. How did you do that? What do you need to keep going? Let's go forward. But we don't do that with our partners. If our partners come to us with a job that is awkward or even a little bit half-hearted or not the way we want it, man, what that person's going to hear about is all that they're doing wrong. I want women to start congratulating their men for their efforts, for their good intentions, and for whatever changes they can possibly make. Encourage them. The best way to get more of what you want in a relationship is to pay attention to it. And that's true, negative and positive. Whatever you're going to keep paying attention to is what you're going to keep getting more of. Most men are criticism phobic. Don't criticize your guy. Make firm requests. They have to be firm. I'm all for that. But make them as requests. Not this is what you keep doing wrong, but rather this is what you could do that's right. Let me help you out. What could I do to help you succeed? That's a whole new language for most women. It's what I call standing up for yourself with love. Standing up for yourself and cherishing your partner and cherishing the relationship all in the same breath. And I think it's a new technology in our culture. Is this true sort of when you talk about men, is that true in... um... Uh, we've obviously been talking about heterosexual relationships, but when it's two women, two men, et cetera, is there one person who assumes one side typically in any relationship or do you see just the same things emerge for both men or both women? This is why it's always dangerous to talk in in broad generalities. Um, I'm not talking necessarily about heterosexual relationships. I am talking about men and women. And whether you're gay, straight, trans, or what have you, most, you know, I have to school straight therapists because most uh, straight therapists have a fantasy that if you're gay or lesbian or trans, you uh, escaped somehow gender socialization and you don't have these issues. But that's nonsense. Uh, You get two gay men, and the first thing you have to recognize is you're dealing with two men. Yeah. Look at the difference between gay sex and lesbian sex, by and large. Again, broad generalities, but nevertheless, you don't have you didn't have lesbian bathhouses, and uh, you don't have a lot of gay men sitting around talking about their feelings. I'm sorry, that's a stereotype. Most men act like men, and when you have a relationship of two men, there are two things you have to think about. The first is that you're dealing with men, and they have not escaped gender socialization. And the second is that you're dealing with, even now, unfortunately, an oppressed minority. And so uh, oppression has consequences, and you have to really tune your ear 
to their particular story, their coming out, how they came to terms with their own gayness. And um, let them teach you about what their experience is. Don't impose your prejudices on them. Mm. So for couples who, do you think that most couples or a majority of couples can can come back from the brink. I would imagine that there will be some divorces um, post COVID, but that there will probably be some renewed marriages and certainly a lot of babies. Um, Do you think that, that people can get over almost anything? No, I think there's some deal breakers. There's some deal breakers. Um, look, if somebody's in the throes of an addiction, God forbid, and they don't want to do anything about it, and the other person wants to walk, I'll help them walk. If somebody is uh, badly verbally abusive, let alone physically abusive, and they don't want to change, the other person gets. I remember one of my great mentors, Pat Melody, uh, was in a rehab setting, and he turned to a woman of a sex addict, drug addict, and rager who really had no interest in doing any work on himself. And he said to this gal, you don't need a therapist. You need track shoes. So not every (laughs) marriage should be safe. Sometimes I find myself in what I call an extrication job. Hey, look, you need to get out of here. And uh, I don't consider that a failure of my therapy either. What I consider a failure of therapy is when a couple leaves doing exactly what they did when they first came in. More mm. of same. But there are couples that really do, somebody should be rescued from a terrible situation. And um, they, that does exist at times. I'm sorry for the children. But, you know, research is really clear. Uh, there's, no, there's a lot of controversy about whether divorce is good or bad for kids in an unhappy relationship. If it's subtly unhappy, if it's just chronically miserable, but if there's yelling and screaming and, and really bad tension and plates being thrown, even the most conservative people are saying it's better for the kids to break it up. So not all couples need to be saved. That's a myth. Mm. But if it's subtle and happiness, then it is better to just get through it? If it's subtle unhappiness, if you ask uh, 12 sociologists, you'll get 33 different responses. Um, <laughs> pick your poison. You know, look, divorce is a terrible wound for children, and there's no escaping that, and I don't mean to in any way be glib about that. On the other hand, if you stay together miserably, you will hand down to your children a template of relationship that is a miserable one. And the Mm. odds are, unless they get into therapy, that's what you're leaving to them. That's your legacy to them. So there's no easy answers. I mean, the best answer, of course, is to get yourselves into therapy and get yourselves less miserable. But if somebody doesn't want to play, if somebody doesn't want to change, if there's a big asymmetry in the level of maturity and evolution between the two partners, then sometimes just the ill health and the immaturity of the um, less evolved partner uh, is too painful for the other one to tolerate and it's time for them to leave. Mm. Well, let's hope not most of the people who are going to be listening to us today. Yeah, no, I hope um, people listening are turning towards intimacy and I guess starting with themselves. 
which is where we started today. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Terry. No, I, I was I was listening for once. <laughs> well, I am cognizant of your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, hopefully I'll see you in person for a hug on the other side. I hope we still get to do uh, that. That would be lovely. And listen, this is my message to everybody uh, uh, listening to this podcast. This is an occasion to rise to. This is not the time, particularly if there are kids in the house, to hold your grudges or to process the terrible feelings that you've been keeping inside for the last 10 years or to blow up at each other if you can possibly help it. This is the time to deal with the immature parts of you that will inevitably get triggered rather than act them out and foist them on your partner to deal with. It's time for us to show up in this crisis like adults. And um, that's my message. I want to empower you to bring your best selves to this crisis because you deserve it and your family needs it. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Terry Real. For more, head to terryreal.com and make sure to check out some of the work we've done with him on the Goop site. I recommend reading any of his books, particularly The New Rules of Marriage, which is one of my go-tos when it comes to relationships. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.